Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irritable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the pedantic Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? You gave me no warning you were starting the show. You you just went, you keep this relationship fresh. <laughs> that's, that's my job. That's what I'm here to do, buddy. Uh, what else we're here to do is review our monthly batch of comics, folks. And I am so excited about this. It's our second month in a row where we get to review two brand new comics. For the last two years, we've been reviewing one new comic and one classic comic, but we are on the road with new comics. Very exciting! Now, just in case you're wondering, folks, we will return to our classic reviews of uh, The Fury of Firestorm, the series from the 1980s, once Legends of Tomorrow is over. So, uh, this is issue two. We'll go through the sixth issue of Legends of Tomorrow. That's when Firestorm's story stops. I also suspect that's when Legends of Tomorrow will stop, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, at that point, we will then jump back in to the Fury of Firestorm reviews, and we'll pick up with issue number 28, the premiere of the single most important character in the post-crisis universe. No, actually, pre-crisis, wasn't it? Uh, Slipknot. Woof! Movie star. Movie star Slipknot, that's right. And Rob, check this out! This is amazing! So Comixology has been releasing the Fury of Firestorm series, the 1980 series, digitally. I don't know if you know this or not. If you don't, clearly you don't read my website. Thanks for that, by the way. Um, I didn't say anything. They've been releasing three issues a week. So... On May 12th, so by the, folks, if you're listening to this episode as it comes out, this Thursday, Comixology will release issue number 28 digitally. You will be able to buy the Slipknot issue, have it on your Comixology, have it on your tablet, and when we review it, you can be reading it just like that. I'm so, well, I've never been able to say, and you can pick it up on digitally. So I'm so excited. They've already solicited through issue number 33, which will come out May 19th. Hopefully they'll continue three issues every month, and we'll get all the way to 100. Fingers crossed. Long overdue. Yep. Before we go any further, let's take a second to thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, Rob? 
I have Sugar and Spike Archives Hardcover Volume 1. I've Ooh. recommended it before. I don't care. It's awesome. <laughs> 240 pages of Sugar and Spike, all done by Sheldon Mayer, the awesome Sheldon Mayer. Normal price, $59.99. In stock, trades price, $32.99. That is 45% off, and it's just awesome Awesome, awesome stuff. Sugar and Spike, Volume 1. It's it's Gixpixel Gla full of goodness. What did you just say? I did a little baby talk there for a second. Ah, okay. Thank you. I, I, it's been a while. My, my youngest is 10, so I guess I haven't heard baby talk in a while. Uh, my title is also related to some of the stuff we're going to cover this week. I picked Guardians of the Galaxy by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, the complete trade paperback, Volume 1. This collects all of their work on, or at least the, the first 12 issues of that the seminal Guardians of the Galaxy series they did. I mean, you, you've seen the movie, guys. Rocket Raccoon, Drax the Destroyer, Groot, Gamora, you know, Star-Lord. You, you know these characters. You know uh, the movie. You know the story. These were the comics that inspired a lot of those elements in those scripts. Done by Abnett Lanning. 296 pages. Uh, full color. So 296 pages. 12 issues. So this sucker's massive. Normally retails for $34.99. You get it for 42% off right now. So it's only $20.29. And I can guarantee you, Abnett and Lanning together doing cosmic stuff is amazing. If you even like his Aquaman stuff a tiny bit, which I bet you do because I've read them and they're really good, then uh, you've got to, got to, got to check this out. So uh, again, folks, for this uh, and all your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. In fact, do me a favor. Go up to their Contact Us button up in the corner, drop them a note and say, hey, I just bought this trade paperback, blah, 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 from you guys, and the recommendation came from the Fire and Water podcast. Wouldn't hurt. It's the only way they can find out that uh, we're sending them any business. So Cool. It sounded like you just said our recommendation <laughs> instead of recommendation. I love that. But if that's, you did say it, I like it even better. <laughs> recommendation. That's freaking awesome. That's my new <laughs> anthem right there, buddy. <laughs> well, uh, there were a couple other things to talk about. Let's see. Um, folks, when you're on the social medias talking about this show, please use the hashtag poundfwpodcasts with an S on the end. That way people can find your comments. We can argue about Aquaman. We can argue about Aqua Woman. We can argue about Firestorm or Multiplex or whatever, and we can have conversations, get to know each other, and really probably learn to make a few new enemies. So uh, that's a good way to go. Also, um, yeah, I was going to talk about the network. Before I do that, Rob, why don't you tell folks about the images and stuff for the yes, show? Yes, yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't visit our site because they get their show for their, from Stitcher or iTunes or on their Zonophone or whatever they do, uh, we have, the, of course, the network site, which is firewaterpodcast.com, and there we post along with the, uh, the, the posts that have the, um, the MP3 files, we have gallery posts where we will feature images from the comics or whatever it is that we're talking about. So if you want to follow along, if you, like, you don't have these comics and you want to re- follow along, either this or like the Who's Who shows, go to firewaterpodcast.com and you can look at the gallery posts that accompany every uh, MP3 post and then you can see what it is that we're talking about. Yep, and I'll, I usually try and pick specific, like if we talk about a particular panel for a while, I'll try and make sure that panel ends up, make it up, get up there, or if, you know, if there's a picture of a hot chick, I, it's a pretty safe bet that's going to end up there. You know, stuff like that. You know, I, I had to be honest with the people at home. I don't want to lie or mislead them. So also, um, since we're talking about the network and the shows, check this out. If you haven't listened to the last episode or two, you may not realize, we've rebranded the show a little bit. You know, for the last five years, this has been the Fire and Water Podcast. This is now... 
Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast, which means we have a new feed on iTunes. So if you get this show through the feed you've been using for five years, you have an alternative. If you want, you can just subscribe to this individual show and just get the Aquaman and Firestorm ones. Just go to iTunes, look for Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water podcast. You'll see the logo that's got Aquaman on the top and Firestorm on the bottom. That's this show. So want to let you guys know that. With that, Rob, I think we've got all the business out of the way. I think so. Let's talk about some guy that talks to fish. All right, yes, we've got Aquaman number 51, which came out a couple of weeks ago. The story is Scavenger Hunt by the aforementioned Dan Abnett. And then Vicente Cifuentes, Juan Castro, and uh, many more people. Aquaman has brought the man inside, uh, known as Deadwater, back to Spindrift Station. I never get tired of saying that. For examination, (laughs) he's been kept inside a containment tube, but just enough water to keep him alive, but unable to transform into the rampaging monster. And that's where the book opens, and we see the poor guy in a medical chair, and he's being examined, and he's parched, of course. They are keeping all water away from him so he can't transform into Deadwaters. They're giving him just enough moisture to survive, but no more than that. So it's a very sort of torturous existence. So he said, it sort of borders on torture. The two members of the FBI working the case arrive with info about the guy, his life to this point. And the news is troubling. And it turns out that this guy has been in uh, – up to this point, he has been killing people, uh, 12 so far, and this guy has no memory of it. The guy's name, his real name is John Payne. It seems as though Deadwater has been exacting revenge on all these people in his life who have crossed his path in a negative way, including his ex-wife. The last thing he does remember is working salvage for a man named Peter Mortimer. Aquaman knows dun, that dun, dun. It's a very exciting sting, Peter Mortimer. Aquaman knows that name for it is the alter ego of the arch criminal named the Scavenger. Uh, Aquaman swims to the spot that the scavenger he thinks might be using as an HQ, and after an attack by some of the scavenger's henchmen, the Sea King's target arrives bigger and badder than ever. And it's basically the scavenger in some giant mech suit that's like uh, it looks like it's from Pacific Rim, like it's like fifteen feet tall. He attacks Aquaman. Back at Spindrift, uh, John Payne is so distraught of not being able to see his son that he begins to cry despite being severely dehydrated. Unfortunately for everyone, that is enough for the transformation to occur, and dead water resurfaces, smashing out of the containment tube. Mira tries to stop the creature, but it is but she is slapped down. Many miles away, Aquaman isn't having an easy time of it either. And this issue ends with Aquaman under Scavenger's foot as he's about to be basically cracked open. And then it says, next, Scavenger versus Deadwater. So that's the whole story. Pretty, I mean, I left out a couple of things, but that's basically the whole gist of it is that we learn that Scavenger is behind all this. Mira tries to, uh, you know, hold down the fort with Deadwater, but finds herself a bit outmatched. So we're going to see what happens in the next issue. I was actually stunned by this issue because I, I really thought the Deadwater story was kind of a one and done. I didn't realize that it was going to be a continuing arc. So when the story started with the Deadwater guy, I'm like, oh, this dude? I thought we were done with that. And making it all, I actually found it fascinating. I would, for a villain who I felt was a little throwaway last issue, not in a bad way, just, you know, I was like, okay, Monster of the Week, moving on, no problem. To find out that he has a backstory and is connected to Aquaman's history and, the, you know, the way they had to sort of keep him, like you said, a sort of torture level just to talk to him. I mean, wow, I, I dug it. I, I enjoyed this issue quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I did. I really like uh, I like the scavenger for no good reason. Uh, I really do <laughs> like him. Uh, he's always been kind of a mort. Um, one of my favorite pages of of any Aquaman comic ever is from Adventure Comics number four seventy five by Dick Giordano and uh, J M DeMatteis, where uh, Scavenger is outflanked by Aquaman, and Aquaman spends seven panels just beating the crap out of the scavenger while also making basically saying how awesome Aquaman is. Like he's talking about how great I am 
and beating the crap out of Scavenger. I just love that page. Uh, he has that. The, the, this is that's the uh, book where he has that line about I was in the world changing game when people like Firestorm and Black Lightning were still in diapers. Oh, so so not only is he doing like a dozens on Scavenger, he's punching Scavenger while he's doing it, which I just love. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can't really say why I like Scavenger so much. I just sort of do. I like that Dan Dan Abnett is working him back into this Aquaman's history. I think that's cool. Uh, Deadwater, yeah, I agree. It felt like Deadwater was was over as of last issue. But now they're they're keeping it going, so that's kind of an interesting idea. And you know, they kind of give away a little at the thing where it says next Deadwater versus Scavenger. Okay, mm-hmm. well I guess we kind of know what's going to happen there. Um, I think my only complaint, and it's kind of minor, but I did mention it on um, the Shrine, is Vicente Cifuentes is picking up the mantle that was uh, done by picked up by a Brent Booth who started Lismuth. Mm-hmm. Is that um, Mira? Her her frame her, getting bigger. Yes, uh, there are a couple panels here where I'm like, my God, they are wider than her body, and they're, they're power girl. They're power girl. They're size power girl the size, and it's just a little like, guys, come on, we don't have to keep doing the lad mag stuff, you know? I mean, so, look at the way Bruce Tim draws women. They don't all, not all superhero women need to be built like that. It just felt, it just got a little out of hand. Like, all right, come on. Now I know that again, a Brent, little out of hand, a little out of hand. <laughs> Red Booth, <laughs> yes, Red Booth. You know, did it one way, and then Cifuentes is following. So there's no real – it's different artists. So maybe when um, Brad Walker takes over, he'll have a more defined version of the way the characters are built. But I just – I couldn't help but notice it. There's a couple of panels I was like, oh, this is good. This is – all right. Guys. I couldn't, I couldn't help but notice it either. Let's, let's scale it down a little. Um, that said, I do love Spindrift Station. Uh, I really have always thought that Aquaman needed – a non-Atlantis sort of location, the way that you've got like the Batcave or the Daily Planet. You know, the, all these other heroes have a kind of central place where you can set the story and move forward. And I think that's my, what Spindrift Station might be. So I'm really digging that, and I really think it's a nice addition to the Aquaman canon. So well done, Dan Abnett. What, um, what city is it located in? Do we know? I haven't thought about that. Because like they show a shot of the city, mm-hmm. and you see Spindrift Station there in the distance, and I started thinking... I wonder what's – I mean, they probably told us last year. I assume it's right off of Amnesty Bay, but maybe oh, not. Oh, that would make the most sense. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah but I, anyway, I really like Spindrift Station. I think that's I, I think that's a really cool thing. And now that we know that Dan Abnett is going to be the regular writer, we know that he can build on these things as opposed to – you know, because I originally thought he was just going to be gone after number 52. Right. It's but, not a throwaway thing. Right. It could, it could be something, yeah. I dig it. And when they do I, the Aquaman line of toys, they can make that a play set. Well, I I, stu- I was Googling uh, this week, and I stumbled across this website. I don't think I'd ever been to it before called Aquaman Shrine. And I read the guy talking about how Spinder Station did represent exactly kind of like what you said a minute ago. And how it's been a headquarters. It's the headquarters Aquaman always needed. Yep. Uh, and I it all resonated. At that point, it clicked. I'm like, you're absolutely It is Aquaman's Hall of Justice. It is Aquaman's mm-hmm. Fortress of Solitude, whatever. It's, it's perfect. So I... And I love that name. I found myself kind of that word is buzzing around my head the last couple of days. Actually, Spindrift just sounds really cool. Yeah, like a, yeah. So it's like, kind of like a '90s band, actually. But um, so I only have one question about Spindrift Station. The the FBI agents come by and come visit, right? You know, uh, they come for a coffee or something to talk with Aquaman and, and Aquawoman. And why did they have to put the wetsuits on? Because like, you know, they even make a comment about like any reason to come down here and swim around in the wet tank or whatever. And I'm thinking, Aquaman was just in a dry room just a minute ago. Why did they? You know, maybe Aquaman needed to go to the water room. I don't like. How do you decide when to receive people in a dry room versus receive people in a wet room? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know. 
I need edit. I need some Emily Post. Come on, Dan, okay. help me out. I need All some right. Emily Post on this. That's that's a very good question. Like you, I have a soft spot for the scavenger. Mine comes from a story, and I can't even remember. And you probably know this. It, it, I, I want to say it was a cover, and it was like something about scavenger and somebody rotting the seas. Like the sea was actually rotting somehow. There were like holes in the sea where the sea was rotting. Hmm. Does this ring a bell at all? No, not a fan. Pretty sure it's the 60s series. I, I'm picturing like a Nick Cardi cover or something, but um, oh, well, I'll have to figure it out. But that's, that's entirely possible. Yeah. That's where my soft spot comes from, the scavenger. And I love his mask. I absolutely love mm-hmm. it. The mm-hmm. little shark teeth, and I love yeah, that he yeah, kept yeah. it with a giant robot here. Yep. That's awesome. I absolutely did love that. There's one power – like there's, there's a quietly spoken scene in this, which I felt like was really powerful, when uh, the, the guy who's uh, – his alter ego is uh, Deadwater. John and he's Payne. remembering everything, mm-hmm. and he says, um, "You know, his name was Peter Mortimer." And I just, I in this the like most plain faced sort of st- like probably stunned expression, but I imagine almost just barely above a whisper. Aquaman says, "Agents, I would consider a personal favor if the FBI provided me with the last known whereabouts of Peter Mortimer, also known as the Scavenger." <laughs> just like I can imagine that being like the most intense, quiet talk ever. <laughs> <Being> <laughs> Oh my God! Aquaman's gonna kill that guy. I gotta deal with this jackass again. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's well written. I, I enjoy the comic. I, uh, I was pleased. You know, like I said, I, when I first saw the Deadwater thing, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I wasn't sure if I was gonna like it, and I, and I did. I thought it was really well done. I felt the torture stuff. I, I genuinely felt bad for the guy. I mean, I really did. I know he's, you know, his alter ego is a murderer, but God, what horrible conditions! Like the dehydration to leave him in. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you see Deadpool the movie? I have never seen that, no. There's a scene kind of similar to that in Deadpool, which is really very grotesque of being kept in this sort of containment chamber just just enough to be still alive, but no more than that. And so that's the read I got from it. I was like, oh, that's uh-huh. terrible. Because if you're constantly thirsty, that's all. I mean, your body really starts to suffer when it's dehydrated to that level. So and I, I like the idea that some of the people like around are like, this is not terribly kosher. And, he, and Aquaman, luckily, is not into it. He's not like, we got to just do it. He's, right. he's sympathetic, but he's like, I, we also can't let Deadwater come back. So right. I, I like that. I, I appreciate the fact that Aquaman is, is, you know, got sympathy for the guy. Yeah. I like that Merc is there, too. As crazy as that sounds, I, I feel like they're working Merc into being a, a more likable character. You know, we don't have Rodin. Anymore, you know, who was always mm-hmm. like Aquaman's security guy. Now we have Merc instead, and you know, he's just—he's always a happy reminder for the Peter David era to me because he's kind of. For those of you who didn't listen to our earlier episodes about Merc, that's what he was supposed to represent when he was first introduced. Was the angry Aquaman of the '90s because he has got like the hook hand, he's got the shoulder guard, he's—he's he's very much like Aquaman used to be. And uh, I, I'm happy to see him around still. I'm glad to see the writers don't leave stuff left behind. And I'll say the same thing when we get to Jerry Conway's Legends tomorrow. So it makes me happy to see that people don't leave that stuff behind. That used to always bug me. When you'd read a comic and a new creative team would come on, and all the characters you got invested in over the previous year are just gone mm-hmm. for the new writer's mission, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's good stuff. I enjoyed it. I, I, yep. it's, it's, I think Dan Abnett has, is a, was a good choice, and I'm glad to see that he's sticking around. And I'm hoping this Aquaman stuff stays. I, I'm kind of digging it. I'm, uh, I like this idea, and we'll talk about it when we get to feedback. Someone wrote in a, an interesting theory, on, a thought on that. So, mm. Cool. All right. All right. So we just jump right into Firestorm? Let's jump right into Firestorm. Ta-da! All right, folks. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow, issue number two. 
Uh, let me. I'm gonna tar- start off by talking about Firestorm, and then, uh, and we'll, you know, maybe we'll. Should we wait for the feedback to talk about the other stories, or should we talk about them immediately afterwards? Uh, well, let's talk about them at, after we're done with Firestorm. Well, I knew that much. Okay. All right. Well, never mind. You're so difficult. I swear. Legends of Tomorrow. I mean, people write in and say they enjoy our snappy banter and stuff like that. Folks, it is a chore working with this jerk. I just need you to know that at home. It's. I, I have to take like, uh, you know, prescription meds now because of working with this guy all these years. It's, it's wrecking my life. I just, you know. <sighs> all right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Cover artist by Liam Sharp and Chris uh, Soto Major. The less said about the cover, the better. Cover dated June. I like the cover. Do you really? I do. Oh, I'm glad. That's good. I, I don't want people to. I just, I wasn't happy with it. Okay. Um, cover dated June 2016 on the shelves April 20th 2016 and I didn't even need Mike's Amazing World of Comics to know that uh, that's just cover- called memory right it's just the other day uh, pri- cover price $7.99 that's a lot that's a lot folks however I've said it last month if you break it down that's only $1.99 per story which is a dollar or two even two dollars cheaper than a normal comic cost nowadays because each one of these four stories is full length so it's, you know, it's a good price. All right, Firestorm is featured in a story called United We Fall Part 2, written by Jerry Conway, penciler Eduardo Pensica. I'm sure I said that wrong. My apologies. Inker, Rob Hunter, colorist Andrew Dollhouse, letterer Corey Breen, editor Jessica Chen, and Firestorm, created by Jerry Conway and Alan Milgram. Ding! All right, this story at a 10,000-foot level. Um, this issue really is more of a series of interludes leading to the new normal. For Firestorm, or some of you might actually say a return to the classic configuration of Firestorm, which you'll hear in just a moment. Uh, It's 20 pages with nine distinct scenes. That's a bunch of scenes for a modern comic. That's a lot in 20 pages. So, uh, again, this thing, obviously, we're going to tell you the whole story here. So if you don't want to hear it and you want to wait and read the comic, go read the comic first. I strongly recommend you buy it. If you don't, people aren't going to realize that uh, we're out there willing to support buying Firestorm comic books, so please consider it. All right, the story starts in Star Labs. The previous issue ended with Firestorm about to explode at Star Labs right in front of Professor Stein. We pick up at that moment. Firestorm is racked with pain, and energy is just pouring out of his body. In protective armor, Professor Stein drags Firestorm inside. While Firestorm's laying on the ground suffering, Professor Stein's explaining to Ronnie and Jason that their quantum waves yada yada, have somehow become out of phase. There's lots of sciencey science jargon, then uh, including a Kayanan Easter egg, which I love, uh, and then Ronnie and Jason both have enough of it and yell, English, professor! Because obviously he's just talking all science talk. Stein says that he needs to separate them or they're going to blow up. With a flip of a switch, Ronnie and Jason separate. The teenagers regain their composure pretty quickly, feeling much better. Jason still seems to have memory gaps, though, which leads Stein to believe that the problem lies with Jason's physiology. That's what's causing the, uh, the breakdown in phasing in the Firestorm Matrix. So Stein needs to study this issue, but like last issue, he laments the not having his original Firestorm notes that are apparently in the possession of his former assistant, Danton Black. More on that guy in a minute. So Stein warns Ronnie and Jason that for, for now... The boys should not fuse to become Firestorm, and that if they did, it, uh, the results could be catastrophic, not just for them, but for everybody they care about. The scene shifts to Alaska. Remember, I said there's nine scenes. There's going to be a lot of jumping around. We go to Alaska, and we're at the Fort McKinley top-secret military installation. Now, the aforementioned Danton Black, told you to remember that, uh, he's actually the supervillain called Multiplex. He attacks this military base, confronting a doctor named Dr. Broderick. 
another Easter egg. Love it. Dr. Broderick is a brilliant scientist who apparently has managed to um, make the theory of cold fusion a reality, something even Professor Stein couldn't do. Multiplex steals the cold fusion capacitor and blasts Dr. Broderick. Now we jump to Walton Mills High School the next day. Uh, during lunch, we join Ronnie and Jason, and they're there with their mutual friend, Tanya. They're all hanging out. There's some fun banter as Tanya sort of berates their actions as Firestorm because she knows their secret. She also teases Ronnie, telling him he needs to listen to his friends, and teases Jason, saying he needs to cut back on his caffeine. Believe me, I, there's a reason I said that. Uh, Ronnie then asks Tanya on a date. He, wants, uh, he suggests Netflix and chill. And then Jason sort of loses his mind, essentially saying he knew Tanya first, and they should therefore go on a date first. <laughs> I know. Uh, they're both trying to call dibs on Tanya, and at this, uh, all this takes place right in front of the poor girl. And she shocks both of the guys by telling them that she's gay and can't believe they never realized this. Scene jumps again, now to another military installation called NASCA. N-A-S-C-A, which stands for National Advanced Science, uh, Sciences Command Atlanta. Oof. So basically, it's just a quick cutaway scene with angry General McAngry Eiling. He is ticked off the multiplex has attacked two nuclear physicists, which also provides a nice recap for the readers. And McAngry Eiling then makes somewhat of a surprising leap of logic that they need to track down Martin Stein because he used to work with Danton Black. It works for the story, I suppose. Then we jump to Glowtech. Remember, again, nine scenes. This keeps going on. We're at Glowtech Industries. Jason Rush, one of our Firestorm heroes, is waiting for his internship interview at the world's hottest internet tech company. They scheduled, they have rescheduled his interview after last issue. You may recall he got sick during the interview and had to leave. And waiting with him is his pseudo-friend, Monica, who's also competing with him for the internship. 30 minutes into the interview, it's looking pretty good for Jason when he starts getting stomach cramps and falls over, foaming at the mouth. Crazy. Then uh, scene jumps. We're now we're in a locker room with Ronnie. It's after football practice. Ronnie and his buddy Eddie are tired, but they're excited because they're uh, they're excited about the big upcoming game. It's the state championship game against Bradley Prep, which is the top-ranked high school team in the state. And this is a game really. This game's a really big deal for them. Now, again, I understand you nerds at home don't understand anything about football. This is an important game for the so understand that that's a big deal. A stranger wanders into the locker room, introduces himself to Ronnie. He says, that he says his name is Chuck McAllister, and he's from Bradley Prep. This is the team that they're going to play in the playoffs, or in the, in the state championship. He's offering Ronnie a full scholarship to attend the Bradley Prep school as long as Ronnie switches to Bradley Prep before the big game on Friday. In other words, he's asking Ronnie to leave his high school and play for the competing team in the big state championship game on Friday. A complete douche move. Uh, Ronnie's buddy, Eddie, wants Ronnie to consider the offer. If Ronnie plays for Bradley Prep, he could write his own ticket to any college in the country. So Ronnie is really bothered by this idea of betraying his team. Doesn't want to do it, but Eddie's still trying to convince him it's a good idea. And, you know, in Ronnie's position, he really needs help with scholarships for college, so maybe he should consider it. It's a tough, tough place to be in. Anyway, at that moment, he receives a text that Jason is in the hospital. He rushes out the door to be with Jason because he's a good friend. Scene cuts to St. Mary's Hospital. We join Jason's hospital room. In the room is Ronnie, Professor Stein, and Jason's dad, Alvin, and Jason. Jason's lying there in a coma. He's been admitted for having seizures. Stein believes Jason's portion of the Firestorm Matrix has become unstable. The only way they can reverse these effects is to get back uh, Stein's original research from Danton Black, that guy Multiplex. In order to do this, they're going to need Firestorm. But Jason's in a coma. How is this possible? The professor says that by removing the Firestorm... This is all very important at this point. Pay attention. The professor says by removing the Firestorm Matrix from Jason, he can initiate Ronnie's transformation into Firestorm without Jason. But the loss of Jason's portion of the Firestorm Matrix will be permanent, 
means Jason can never become Firestorm again. Jason's dad says, do it. So the Professor Stein whips out Dumbledore's street lamp deluminator and sucks the Firestorm Matrix right out of Jason. Permanently. And that's it. It's just that easy. According to Stein, Jason won't ever become Firestorm again. As the energy flows into Dumbledore's deluminator, Ronnie and Stein touch. This triggers the Firestorm transformation, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, it's the return of the classic Firestorm configuration, folks. Ronnie's in control of the Firestorm body, while Professor Stein serves as the onboard advisor. The look is the new 52 Firestorm, but the composition is, as my friend Rob would say, classic. The next scene is all about Firestorm and them getting acquainted. It's really, it's, it's quite joyous. Ronnie's flying around, but it's taking a while for the professor to acclimatize to being Firestorm. They're dealing with communication issues where Professor Stein's in his head talking, but it's like he's yelling. Turns out the professor and Ronnie are both sort of unintentionally fighting for control of the shared body. The professor wasn't even aware of the struggle, so he actually offers to take a back seat and tells Ronnie to control the body since Ronnie has more experience being Firestorm, as long as Ronnie allows Stein to offer advice. Um, Ronnie says, of course. And then uh, Ronnie's assuming all this change in the Matrix is just temporary until they can help Jason, right? Stein reminds him, no, this is permanent. We are the new Firestorm Matrix. Trying to change it again would be catastrophic. Stein says that he's responsible for what happened with the Firestorm Protocols. Now, that is a callback way back to when the new 52 Firestorm series started. So Stein says that is all his responsibility, and becoming Firestorm is how he's shouldering that responsibility. Whatever comes next, Ronald, Ronnie Raymond... I'm sorry, Ronald Raymond and Martin Stein are going to face this together as Firestorm. Then we get a quick little epilogue or cliffhanger. We're back at that Nazca base. General McAngry Eiling is preparing Operation Containment, which means he's getting the metahuman Major Force ready to go after Danton Black, Professor Stein, and Firestorm. Firestorm and Major Force battled at the end of the previous New 52 Firestorm series, you may recall, and apparently it's time for a rematch. Woof! I know I went into a lot of detail, but this was an important issue. So, what do you think, Rob? Uh, my favorite scene is with Jason and Ronnie and Tanya, where she reveals she's gay. I thought that was a really funny scene, and I love her face in that panel. You do know I'm gay, right? just love that. My least favorite part is Martin Stein's severed neck floating <laughs> around Firestorm. Explain for the newer listener at home, please. Uh, for those of you that uh, aren't familiar with the comics tropes, when you do a severed, when you do like the disembodied head that's reacting to, <gasps> you know, to something, you really just need to draw the head not the neck because if you draw the neck it looks like a beheaded head as opposed to just the head by itself and to this point martin stein has always just been the floating head but now he's kind of a floating neck because you never know where to end the neck we should so, end the jawline that's right where it, it always the ended jawline. the jawline but here it looks like somebody has cut martin stein's head off and it's just floating around so <laughs> it's actually being dangled in the way in firestorm slipstream yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> interesting that you should mention that scene um about uh, Tanya coming out. So, you, you, were you being sarcastic? You really like that or not? No, no, I did. Okay. Because yeah. I've read, I've been reading a couple of reviews online. And there's been actually, this is probably the only negative thing I have to say about the issue, is I've seen a lot of comments online about, pe- about the t- this teenager scene. And people don't like those scenes, actually. Um, not, and not everybody. But some, like, the, the, they make a reference to Netflix and chill. And a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're trying to use the, you know, whether they're picking on Jerry Conway for writing it or DC, or, they're, oh, they're trying to use hip kid language. Well, my, my counter-argument to that is that my kids say that. I have a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old, and I hear them say Netflix and chill all the freaking time. So I think it's a legit phrase to use. I don't have an, In fact, my daughter sings a song. I don't even know what that is, but Netflix and chill. Oh, boy. Um, I know, exactly. I didn't really have a problem with the dialogue. Now, 
the thing where she's they're having that argument about dating her right in front of her, mm-hmm. which is sort of crazy, and then the declaration of her being gay. I actually didn't like that scene a lot. It, it felt a little too awkward, and it seemed like a bit of a shortcut to me to resolve the subplot with Tanya. Um, now, it didn't make me dislike the comic or anything. It just wasn't my favorite. It was probably my least favorite scene in the comic, oddly enough. I liked the stuff leading up to it, but that revelation, I was just kind of like, oh, like, that kind of ended that subplot a little quick. And, you know, I was kind of hoping she was kidding, actually, just to get their goat, you know, but it, I, I doubt someone would do that because people would say that was being insensitive or something. Um, so, actually, that was not my favorite part. <laughs> I liked it. I, I, the thing about Netflix and chill would have worked better if they didn't get it backwards. Oh, did he say chill on Netflix? Because he says if anybody's going to be maybe chill on Netflix, we are, which kind of reveals like it's been written by someone who doesn't really know the phrase because it's not chill on Netflix. It's Netflix and chill. Or Jason's out of touch. Or Jason's out of – well, okay. It just – just <laughs> like if, if you're going to be critical that they're trying to jam in a current phrase, getting it wrong is just underlining it. It, it, it reminds you of like when DC tried to be hip in the 60s to compete with Marvel and they were just so bad at it. You know? <laughs> Wait, are you like, besmirching – Tom Haney, teenage speak? Because you better not be. Who speak? Bob Haney. Oh, Bob Haney. Oh, did no, I say something different? You said it sounded like, it sounded like you said Tom Haney. I'm like, I, may, I may have. Tom I may have. Haney. I was reading yeah. something while I was talking. Okay. Oh, very nice. That's all right. It's hard for you to pay attention with the one hour a week we do the show. <laughs> uh, no, I, I. it was fine. And I said I like the subplot. I don't – her hand gesture is a little weird. I don't know if that's supposed to – be something or not, but whatever. Now I'm flipping. We're flipping. She's okay, but whatever. Anyway, I liked it, and I always felt like on the um, classic Firestorm book that Jerry Conway's heart was in the scenes with Ronnie and Martin as people more than the Firestorm scenes. And so, going back to these scenes, I feel like that's what Jerry's kind of more interested in is more the human interest stuff as opposed to the superhero action. Not that Jerry's not good at it, but I I think he enjoys this stuff just as much. So this scene feels like something out of the original Firestorm book, just in a modern setting. Oh, I'll give you that. You're absolutely right. I mean, and and, it, and there's been other writers that were good about this as well. I mean, Firestorm's always been uh, more about the char- the people who make up Firestorm than the character Firestorm. But um, yeah, especially in those Fury, those original Fury Firestorms he did in the '80s. You're right, where you know you'd get you know 15 pages of Ronnie and, and Professor Stein's life, and then you'd get you know seven pages of fight. Mm-hmm. It's kind of yeah, and that's kind of the feeling. You're right. That's the kind of feeling emulated here, and that's perfectly fine with me because that's. That's what I love. I love Ronnie, and I love the professor, and I love Jason. You know, it's Firestorm's fun, but it's the it's the folks that make him up that really would make it so special. Mm-hmm. Since we're talking about Jerry, I, I always wax his car on this. I'm going to say it again uh, about his three act structure. And it's interesting, is you know, I read this issue when it came out, and then I put it aside, and then I started working on the recap for today. And before I reopened the comic, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, I, I enjoyed that, but now that I've had some time, I. I don't think a lot happened is kind of how I was feeling before I reopened it. Then I sat down to write the recap, and I was shocked. I was like, oh, my gosh, no. The story is packed. Jerry does such a good job with the three-act structure again. Like, you know, the way a three-act structure works is you get, you know, uh, your setup is in the first act, and you get the plot point, major plot point. You have a confrontation with the second plot point, and you have a resolution. Act one in this story is Ronnie and Jason about to explode. The plot point then is that they can't become Firestorm again. Act two is your confrontation scene, which is Ronnie's football dilemma and Jason getting sick. And the plot point there is, you know, Jason's now in a coma and they have to act. Act three is the resolution of Ronnie and the professor becoming Firestorm. I mean, it's it's beautifully structured. It's perfect. It's I just don't see that in a lot of comics nowadays. It's You get a quick story, but it always feels like it's a slice of it. This feels like a full story, even though it's part of a larger arc. So it makes me happy. I like it. All right, so check this out. What do you think is going on with Jason? What do you mean? Dude, he's in a coma. 
didn't yeah. pick up on that? Yeah, but okay. okay, yeah. Why do you think this is happening? I... Besides, it necessitates the story. Well, you're... Hmm. I, I have a point here. Okay, go ahead. All right, well, fine. You got nothing. Um, and I'll be honest, I didn't realize this myself. I read this in one of the reviews. Jason's pseudo-friend, Monica, right, who's also competing for the scholarship, she has been there with Jason prior to both of his interviews and his subsequent attacks. And then, this is the thing that I picked up on in the article, so that I, the, the one of the reviews I read, if you notice is she hands him a drink before each one. Ah. In the first issue, okay. she gave him a can of soda because she knows how much he likes his caffeine. In this one, he's drinking a soda. He puts it down. You don't see it for a while. It's next to her. And then as he's going into the interview, she hands it back to him. That's right. And then 30 minutes later, into the interview, he's buckling over with stomach cramps. And he's got the drink with him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I wonder if all this is just some crappy little kid or if she's part of this. Because if I remember, I didn't um, – I think Multiplex in the New 52 knows it's Jason and Ronnie. I'm pretty – because he kidnapped some of their parents. Yeah. Um, so may, you know, maybe she's connected to Multiplex? I don't know. Because uh, there is you – know, in the Batman Beyond book – I don't know if you even know this. In the Batman Beyond book, they introduced a new Catwoman. And the Catwoman could actually replicate herself nine times. Because, you know, that's a cat thing. She was Multiplex's daughter. Huh. And that's kind of an if. As you say through a yawn. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But it would be kind of neat if they said this is Danton Black's daughter or something like that. Or, or, you know, if they connected it somehow. Could be possible. Or maybe she's just a crappy little kid that's trying to sabotage Jason's chances at this internship. And what if Professor Stein took away the Matrix from Jason turns out he wasn't going out of phase with the Matrix. He's just getting poisoned by some teenage brat. I mean, how awful would that be for Jason? Because, you know, J- and this is something else we're talking about. Jason out of the Matrix permanently? What do you think? Do you think that's the case? Uh, hmm. I could see it, maybe. Yeah? If we're trying to get Firestorm back to the, you know, Ronnie and Martin kind of thing. Well, well, I've got a lot to – I'm going to argue both sides of this here because it's, it's an interesting thought for me. I, I don't know because when I interviewed Jerry Conway on, on this show uh, just a, couple, a month or two ago um, about this storyline, he talked about some future possibilities with Jason. He wasn't saying specifically about Jason as Firestorm but just subplots in Jason's life. So I wouldn't be surprised if they find a way for either Jason to stay in the book or for a way for all three of them to be part of the Firestorm in some manner. Maybe they can you know, interchange two at a time. I don't know. Um, or like I said, maybe it's just Jason goes on, he becomes their tech support or something like Oracle. I just know that Jason has been so integral to Firestorm for so long, they can't just write him off. Um, also as a character, I can't imagine him being very happy about not being part of Firestorm anymore. I mean, imagine when he wakes up and he finds out he's not part of Firestorm, he's going to be pretty pissed actually. So, all right, here we go. You know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to get into this. It's a, you know, it's kind of funny that he had that little, you know, lamp lighter thing and sucked it right out of, out of Jason. Because, you know, back in 2004, the raging fanboys bo- over on the DC Comics message boards would have loved to know it was that easy to take the Matrix right out of Jason. Those were some ugly days with Ronnie versus Jason fandom. I don't know if you remember the DC message boards. They were, they were a horrid little hive of scum and villainy. No, I, st- I generally stay away from <laughs> message boards. I mean, I had a lot of fun there, but, man, there were some ugly days. Um, sadly, it took about eight years for that Ronnie versus J- Jason argument to die down. Really, it was probably till about brightest day, which is when people finally calmed down and like, oh, Jason and Ronnie can be friends. They can work together. Okay. It, but prior to that, it was always like, no, Ronnie should be Firestorm. Jason should be Firestorm, whatever. Now people are pretty accepting of them. So it's kind of scary that finally people are okay with Jason if they're going to kick him out. So here, here's some history. 
because you mentioned it. You know, we're getting back the class. I think you called it classic or iconic firestorm. I'm not sure which one you said there, but so here's where I have a debate with myself. All right, I'm going to give a lot of numbers and a lot of history here, folks. So, so stick with me. Ronnie and the Professor. All right, the quote unquote classic firestorm, the iconic firestorm, was only around for ten years. It was 1977 to 1987. Undeniably, it was his most popular period. He had a very successful comic series, and he was in the Super Friends, and he had a toy. So that was, without a doubt, his most popular period. But it only lasted 10 years, and it was over 30 years ago, or almost 30 years ago. Since then, it's been a whole variation of Firestorm. We had Ronnie, Mikhail, Arkadin, and The Professor for two years. It was different, but he still had similarities. Now, I'm not counting the elemental Firestorm in this discussion, because while it's still very valid to me, it was very different. It wasn't anything like the quote-unquote classic Firestorm. So, so you get... You know, Ronnie the Professor for 10 years. You get Ronnie Mikhail and Professor for two years. Then you get Ronnie Solo, meaning Ronnie as Firestorm by himself, from 1995 in the glorious Extreme Justice to oh, God. an identity crisis, which lasted nine years. Ronnie was Firestorm by himself for nine years. Then you get Jason starting in 2004 with his own series all the way through 2010, which was the end of Blackest Night. Six years Jason was Firestorm on his own. Uh, well, I mean, with partners, but I mean, he was the primary. Then Ronnie and Jason together, starting in Brightest Day through this issue, was another six years. Can you believe it's been six years? That's amazing. 2010 to now. So if you, if you do this cumulatively, Firestorm's been around 39 years. Next year he'll turn 40, by the way. Um, so Ron, if, you, if you look at cumulatively, Ronnie has spent 27 years as Firestorm. Fair to say, Ronnie's an integral part of Firestorm. I don't think you can have Firestorm without Ronnie anymore. I think you, I think you can't deny that. Jason and Stein have both individually been Firestorm for 12 years. So Jason has done Firestorm as many years as, the, as Professor Stein, believe it or not, which is sort of crazy to think about. So this iconic version of Firestorm that people talk about, which is Ronnie Professor, was only around for 10 of those 39 years. That's only a quarter of Firestorm's history. And we haven't seen this iconic version in about 30 years. So some kid who's just getting into comics now, why should they care? about this iconic version that existed before they were even born. Now, of course, I'm going to argue and say because it's freaking awesome. And because kids aren't reading comics. I guess that's true. I mean, it's only, are, old, only old guys like us. Pro- probably, you know, who are shelling out $8.99 for a comic, you're probably right. It is probably just old guys like us. Because no kid's going to shell out 8 bucks for a comic. Why else do you get Jerry Conway back? I mean, does a little kid know who that is? Wow, you make a good point there, sir. Huh? Look at that. Well, that was the argument I had with myself, with basically saying that the iconic Firestorm is more of just a happy memory, I think, of people people having a happy memory than being able to say, well, that's the real Firestorm, because it was only 25% of the history and it was 30 years ago. As much as I love it, I don't think you can say that's you know the, the, the most important Firestorm anymore. So I think Jason has every right to be part of Firestorm as much as Professor Stein and Ronnie now. So I think they need to find some way, and I hope they do. And I have faith, because I, I don't think... Conway came into this with the, in the intention of getting rid of Jason. I think he definitely wanted to make Firestorm more like Ronnie and the Professor, but I think he has a plan for Jason. And whether that's part of the Matrix or just part of their team you know, of people, you know, maybe he's their, their Felicity Smoke now, I don't know, whatever. Um, Caitlin Snow, you know, I, I, I just hope Jason has a place. It's important to me. There's a whole lot of talking, I guess, huh? <laughs> you had a lot to say about that I topic. did. I, re- I, I typed all this up. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I clearly was very passionate about this today. <laughs> so, bottom line, I enjoyed the issue. I When I sat down to write the recap, I was thinking not a lot happened, but the more I really dug in, I, a lot did. I really do think uh, this is going to make a tra- great trade paperback. Once they finish the sixth installment, 
and I really do think Legends Tomorrow is probably going to end at issue six. I don't know. I, I started thinking about it. You know, all these stories that are in here, Firestorm, Sugar and Spike, Metamorpho, and Metal Men, were all originally solicited as six-issue miniseries. Well, they weren't solicited, but they were announced as six-issue miniseries. And they wrapped it up here together in Legends Tomorrow. So once they're done with that, they're not going to have any continuing story arcs. It's not like, you know, it's not like issue seven is going to continue the Metal Men story. So... I think they're, and also that's about when DC Rebirth is kicking off. I think they're just going to end it. I yeah. think they're just trying to. Sadly, I think they're just trying yeah, to get the miniseries right. out. Yeah, I think you're right. They've paid for the material. They got to do something yep. with it. But. And let's get into the other stories for a second because I, you know what? I started thinking about it too. I was like, you know what? I'm kind of glad they did it this way because the likelihood of me picking up all three of these other stories pretty nil. minimal. Nil. Yeah, I sure as hell wouldn't have picked up Sugar and Spike. However. Rob, as the local Sugar and Spike, uh, you know, cheerleader, what do you think of the Sugar and Spike story? And future host of Sugar and Spice and Everything Nice, a Sugar and Spike podcast. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, okay. My criticism of the Sugar and Spike strip is that it does not need to be called Sugar and Spike. It has, it has f all to do with <laughs> Sugar and Spike. So it is just purely a marketing thing. Um, the way you would call any, you know, the way they do these movie reboots like Jim and the Holograms and it has nothing to do with Jam or the Holograms. It's just a marketing thing. That's all that it is. For whatever value Sugar and Spike has as a name, it might just literally be a copyright thing. Mm. That said, uh, I really like this strip and uh, I, I absolutely love the artwork of, I don't, I'm probably going to butcher this person's name, Bilquis or Bilqui Evely. Is how B I L Q U I S E V E L Y. I'm not I, the guy to ask. So. <laughs> I absolutely love his or her artwork. I, I I mean, like startlingly so. I I think um, when we got the first issue, I got it like just the day of that we recorded, and I really didn't have time to look very closely at the other stories. I just read Firestorm. and was like, okay, I'm ready. But man, I this artwork is absolutely terrific, and I love the fact. That both so so far both stories of the Sugar Spike are one and dones. Yeah, like they both end. It's not a continued thing. So I really do like this concept. It's not Sugar and Spike, but the concept itself is really cool. It's funny. Uh, I I think it's great. And I the, you're right. I would not have probably picked this up if it was a separate miniseries because I would have had I would have read Sugar and Spike or Grown Up and they're they're detective. I would have been like what? Never mind. But because it came along with Firestorm. I'm reading this, and I think it's terrific. I really, really like it. It's adorable. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know if we mentioned the right. Did we mention Keith Giffen's writing it? No, I don't think we did. Yeah, Keith Giffen is, is writing it. Yeah. And, I mean, there, there you go right now. You know right away it's going to be quirky, especially when he's on his own. Well, okay, but the thing is, sometimes with Keith Giffen, I feel like he is too heavily Keith Giffen-y. Like, he, he <laughs> leans into the skit a little too much. Here, I think he's dialing it back a bit. And I like that it's got a it's it has a sort of boys and girls adventure type feel to it, a little mm. Johnny Johnny Quest kind of thing. But yet it's so steeped in the DC universe. I mean, in this second issue, they go to Superman Island, which is just a giant body of Superman. I mean, I really think it's a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy, it. and the coloring is really nice. It's kind oh, of yeah. like subtle, uh, at least it's for sort of painterly almost. Yeah, painterly. It's I think it's a really terrific strip, and I would like to see this continue. Uh, on after Legends of Tomorrow wraps up or whatever. I, again, I don't expect it to, but uh, I, I really think this is a really good strip. The, the relationship between Sugar and Spike is great. And, and folks, I'm, I'm really pitching this at you because I want you to try this if you haven't read it. Like, Sugar's the girl, Spike's the guy. And Spike sort of like, I don't know, he, he almost feels like he's one of us. He, he's, he feels a little bit nerdy. He feels a little bit, 
you know, not necessarily a man of action, but he's sort of intelligent. Sugar is like mercenary. She's tough. She wants to kick ass, and she is mean to him. And clearly he's in love with her, and I think she probably likes him too, but they're not a couple, and they live, they live next to each other in that little house, you know, like a duplex, which is adorable. Like he has one side of the duplex, she has the other. Which is so, I don't know if you picked that up at the end of issue, either issue one or issue, issue one, I think it is, when he drives her home. And she goes to her side of the duplex and he goes to his side of the duplex. It's so cute. And, um, and both issues, both stories so far, and Rob mentioned Superman Island. I won't mention the, the MacGuffin in the first issue, but it's another weird Silver Agey sort of thing mm-hmm. that, only, that only Keith Giffen would go back and, well, or Graham Morrison, would go back and dig out and do something with. And it's cute. And it's fun, and it's it is a fun adventure story, but it's got some humor in it. It's it is absolutely joyous, and the art you're right is just beautiful. It's just so well. Yeah, I've never heard of this person before, and I now I want to go back and find what other things they might have done. I think they're mm. terrific. It's, you're at that opening shot of Superman Island. Is that a thing, by the way? Did they? I, I assume that's probably a Silver Age concept. Mm-hmm. Keith would, yeah, yeah, that's okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Superman's embarrassment over it too. Is so funny. He's like, I was young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. I was really pleasantly surprised. I and it was ridiculous because I mean, I bought the damn first issue and I literally didn't read past Firestorm. Right. And now, yeah. like now, I'm glad I had time to because it's it's really good. I I would even consider getting this as a trade when they put it out just to have it all hmm. together and just to support it. Just to be like, yeah. you know, do something like this again. This is good. Well, like if if you like. Keith Giffen projects like this. You should check out his Doom Patrol run he did. Um, was it Matthew Clark? I don't know if I'm getting the name right. Ooh, help me out here waiting for Doom guys. Anyway, Keith Giffen wrote a Doom Patrol series that was great. It felt a lot like this um, back in the late in mid 2000s after John Burns. It was very enjoyable. So, all right. So the other two stories in here are Metal Men and Metamorpho. Um, worth mentioning, Metal Men is drawn by Gilderay Sinar, friend of the show, uh, huge you know huge supporter for us. When he was doing Firestorm, very nice man. I love the Metal Men. I have a very soft spot for the Metal Men. The first installment, I was like, okay, we'll see where this goes. The second installment, they bring in some other, I don't want to give details away, but they bring in some other mechanical DC universe elements, which are a lot of fun. So I I think the story is definitely on a good path. I'm enjoying the Metal Men story quite a bit. And then the other one is Metamorpho. They're retelling Metamorpho's origin. And... It's not. I'm not gonna say it's bad. It's just it's not my favorite because like, you're really gonna mess with Bob Haney, really? I mean, come on. Well, well, there's other ways to do Metamorpho that <laughs> you know that you can do. Yeah, I I'm not huge fans of either the Metamorpho or the Metal Men these particular strips, but you know, that's well, fine. They're there's not they're not bad. There's nothing. It's not like I put it down. I'm like ugh. So I mean, it's it's uh. It, but yeah, for me the highlights are Firestorm, Sugar, and Spike and Metal Men. That's what I'm enjoying, and it's well worth it. I, it's well worth seven ninety nine easily. So at the end of the second Metal Minutes moment, they bring in Red Tornado, which you know. I just said I wasn't going to spoil those. Elements. Well, there's another character that you're not mentioning. Okay, fine. I'm going to mention him, but they bring in Red Tornado, which is you know so clearly a sop to sales. I mean, come on, don't be so. What, a sop to sales? We yeah. think he's going to boost sales. Yeah, Red it's Tornado. A, it's a joke. Oh, it's a joke. <laughs> well, next time, make it funny, my friend. Okay. All right. Uh, on so the- feedback. Dour note. We're going to go to break. <laughs> We're going to go to break. We're going to play a podcast promo or two, folks. And we come back on the other side. We are going to talk about your listener feedback. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One 
the man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up, up, and away. Atomic batteries to Turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You start the officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Gary. Plain, simple Gary. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. It's much sure to become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on Two True Freaks. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And folks, this is the part of the show where we talk about all the wonderful comments you have left us, whether it be on our page, fireandwaterpodcast.com, in the comment section, whether you've done it on Facebook or Twitter or Smoke Signals or whatever you sent it to us. Um, and in case you're new to the show, you know, maybe you've been brought in by the New Direction Aquaman or Legends tomorrow. Just so you know, we have a term for this community of friends, community of people that have come together and have grown up around the show and are fans of Firestorm, fans of Aquaman, and have really come together. And we call them nuclear subs. So welcome to the family. You are now officially a nuclear sub. And I want to give three quick shout-outs for some of the folks in our nuclear sub family. First goes out to our but our very good buddy, Zoom Yukonori. At the time of this recording, Zoom has just had some pretty major surgery, and uh, we are wishing him a speedy recovery. If the name doesn't ring a bell, folks, Zoom is the wizard who does the amazing Who's Who, custom Who's Who entries that we feature during the Who's Who podcast, is over on... Um, CBR's The Line It Is Drawn. He does, he's an amazing artist, and he can do just about any artistic style, and we love him to death. He's been on the show before. Great guy. Uh, he loved Quick Zoom. We're thinking about you. We're pulling for you, buddy. Yeah, I mean, we should say he's had his brain put in a robot body, which is, I didn't think, <laughs> I'm not judging. I mean, he can do what he wants. Uh, you know, best of luck to you, Zoom. I just don't know why he hangs around with that talking gorilla with a beret, but. Um, <laughs> 
Anyway, shout out also to our good friend Stella from the Backworld Oracle podcast. She just recently did an episode on her show with a guy named Donovan Morgan Grant. I don't know who that chump is, but anyway. Um, and they called it the Minority Report, where they talked about minorities and how they're handled in comic books. It's a really fascinating study. At first, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. <laughs> I'm going to guess it. the answer is really well. Well, especially when I saw that it was five hours long. Oh my god! Yeah, I know. Uh, I've given. <laughs> they her all talk kinds about of... the DC sampler. What? I don't understand. What is going I've on? given her all kinds of hell for that, but it's really good. So head over to Backworld Oracle, check out the Minority Report, and it's really fascinating. Listening, there's a lot of stuff when I'm listening. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't really, you know, I just don't think about these things. I'm just oblivious to them. All I do is run around going, she's hot. You know, that kind of thing. By the way, did I mention Mara's hot in that issue? I don't remember if I said anything. Anyway. I, um, I know, but I didn't say the words. So, I mean, it's kind of, you know, I mean, Dan Abnett put it in the comic. I feel like I owe it to the man to put it in there. So, anyway, definitely check that out. Back old Oracle. And then finally, uh, congratulations to our good buddy, Luke Dobb. Um, not going to go into details, but Luke had a really good week, and we are happy for him. And we love Luke. He's fantastic. He's He does a lot of the songs we feature on the show. You're going to be hearing more songs from him in the near future on the Firewater Podcast Network. And uh, just good for you, Luke. Glad you had a good week. Yeah, Shag doesn't want to say, but the, the news is Luke clinched the nomination as for the Republican Party. So that, that's his big news. We're all, we're, all, we're all rooting for you, Luke. <laughs> can't do that to me. I'm still, I'm still recovering. Man. <laughs> The pneumonia's coming back. <laughs> All right. Um, wanted to touch on iTunes reviews, folks. <laughs> Last episode, I begged and pleaded on bended knee, and even with a jam box over my head and a duster, asked you for more iTunes reviews, and you guys came through. Thank you so much. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we've this show has been spun off on its own feed on iTunes. So the original show that's been around for five years now has over 100 reviews because you guys are amazing. And the new show... Uh, as it's, you know, or this show now on its own independent feed. Well, we've doubled since last time, so thank you. You guys doubled the number. We're up to 18 reviews. Thank you very much. Let's get that going. I'd like to see it hit maybe, I don't know, 300 by the end of the week. <laughs> it's eminently reasonable. I'm, I, I think I'm being reasonable. Now, I do have a request. We have discovered the secret of iTunes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, one thing we never knew till now. That uh, for those of us in the in America, when we're using iTunes, we're in the America version of iTunes. And we found out there's a little button on the bottom that you could change the country that you're supposedly in. And suddenly it shows you different reviews. For example, if you're from Canada, like our good friend Siskoid, who uses the Canadian version of iTunes, who leaves us a review. We never even saw it. Because we hadn't, so now we know we can change it. So anyway, if you're, if you're from another country... And you write us a review on iTunes, just shoot us an email or something and let us know what country you're in. And we'll check because I promise you I'm not checking Denmark frequently to see if we're getting reviews from them. So help us out, and then we'll be sure to read your iTunes review on the show. And here's our first one, and it comes from Canada. I had to find it from our good buddy Siskoid, who's, of course, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does the Ohatmu or Not Podcast, the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, the First Strike Invasion Podcast, and he also has his own Siskoid's blog at Geekery. And did you know he helps do the layouts for a lot of the Doctor Who role-playing game PDF, like Expanded Universe books? It's awesome. So, just saying. He's, the guy's amazing. So anyway, uh, his iTunes review reads, Opposites go great together. 
Fire and Water used to be about Firestorm and Aquaman, but it very organically became a reflection of its two hosts' personality and interests, spawning conversations that went beyond its two lead characters, then spawning a host of other like-minded shows. And that like-mind, it's about finding your joy, folks. Talk about what you know, sure, but talk about what you love, first and foremost. Thank you, Cisco. I appreciate Good review. that. Good review. And, th- and that really is our mantra. Find your joy. And, and embrace it and love it. So, And again, by the way, these iTunes reviews, they are so helpful. They really help raise the profile of the show. It helps new people find us. We are having lots of new people find our shows right now. So the iTunes reviews help. So um, that's me what, begging for the third time, I think, now. So 300 by the end of the week. We can do it. All right. Uh, we got another review from Professor Alan Quarterbin, who does the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network of Quarterbin Short, short, short Box Showcase Comics Reading Journal from Darkness to Light. Uh, he says the ten thousand foot hook handed view. A great <laughs> he dings both of us there in that line. A great show featuring a great host and the irredeemable Shaq. <laughs> this is a bandwagon jumping podcast that is covering the hip new superstars of all media, Aquaman and Flamestorm. <laughs> Somehow, inexplicably beyond all reason, this is actually a very enjoyable show. I know I'm surprised too. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Professor Allen. Oh, what a jerk. Okay. Uh, we heard from Saya Mesenko, and Saya wrote us a, uh, a review in song. And I'm going to try and remember. This is actually sung to the tune of the Bad Mamma Jamas theme song for our show. So I'll see if I can get this right. Aqua Robin Fireshine, reviewing books together. Download this show and turn it up. No one does it better. Wherever you find hot girls, Shag will always be there. So catch the show now, but watch out for their hair. Aqua Rob and Fire Shag, prissy friends forever. Yeah. I know, my singing voice is awful. But you have the temerity to make fun of my singing voice after that. <laughs> Just read your next one. All right. Jose Rivera says, so much fun. If you're a fan of Aquaman or Firestorm or both, then this is the podcast for you. If you're curious about the characters and want to give some of their adventures a try, then this is also the podcast for you. Rob and Chag's enthusiasm and positivity are infectious as they find their joy in the characters they love. <laughs> you too will find yourself coming back for more. Whether it's new adventures in comics, TV or film, or as Rob would say, some classic stories, these two will be here to share their love of two wonderful characters with you, the lucky listening audience. Thank you very much, Jose. Please note, when you write an iTunes review, we read the whole thing. So the rest of the comments we're going to pick and choose, but iTunes reviews, you get the extra treat. Yep, absolutely. So if you our iTunes review, we're going to read it. Now it's going to happen now. Someone's going to like give a review, then halfway through they're going to put in, like I don't know, their dissertation on you know animal rights, and then the next bit, and I'm going to have to read all of it. But anyway, <clears throat> Alexander Osias wrote, From obscurity back to greatness. I was a Firestorm follower from almost the beginning, and Aquaman, well, not an immediate choice for Kitty Play Hour for me, was the most likely to be found outside of the American arena of our corner of the world. If you love either of them, this is the podcast for you. But above and beyond that, listen to this podcast for the banter between the hosts. They're geeking out on on minutiae of their respective fandoms and DC fandom in general, and a lively community on the web and guest starring on the podcast. Go Nuclear Subs! There you go. Way to go, Alexander. And I want to say he's from the Philippines, I believe, if I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. Uh, Gene Hendricks, who is from North Jersey, which might as well be from the Philippines in terms of how far away it is from South Jersey. He does the two true freaks. <laughs> we met at a diner for it's dinner. A big, was... big cultural divide there. Uh, no, <laughs> the two true freaks. Do you, you, you realize that of 
every nuclear sub I've met probably about two dozen different nuclear subs. He is the only one where you and I have both set foot in his house at the same time. That's right. He and we pr- almost survived. He probably burned the house to the ground at that point. He just started over. He just told his family, <laughs> we have to back up and move out. This is like the Amityville house now. Anyway, Dean <laughs> Hendricks is from Two True Freaks, Hammer Strikes blog and podcast, Legends of the Superheroes, the Quantum Cast, and lots more. He writes, amazing. Growing up at the Jersey Shore, I've always wanted Aquaman's powers. He's a great character and has a larger base of operations than anyone else on the planet. So this show didn't need to make me like Aquaman. What it did, I want to find amazing, is like... I like and care about a character who talks to himself and has a costume with puffy sleeves. I never <laughs> thought I'd see the day that happened, but it has. Well done, gentlemen. Thanks, Gene. Appreciate that. Uh, last one, last iTunes review from JB Blackrock. Great wrote, name. Yeah, I know. He wrote, Find Your Joy. When this podcast started, the two featured characters were in comics limbo. That the host would start a podcast at such a time says how much they love these characters. Thankfully for all of us, both Firestorm and Aquaman have risen to the limelight in more recent times, and this show is a great way to share the joy of their success. Of this success. Well, thank you, JB. We appreciate that. Folks, that's the conclusion of the iTunes reviews. We're about to get into the rest of the comments, but again, please head out to iTunes. They really, really help. So, the comments we're going to read now um, come from all from episode 161, which was last month's review episode. And we, again... Uh, the, the Facebook, the, the Twitters, the emails, the contact submission form, our, our website, all these places where we pull comments from. We're not going to be able to read everything. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. So we've sort of cherry-picked bits and pieces of your comments, and uh, we'll jump into those now. Right. First comment is from Ryan Daly from our own Fire and Water Podcast Network, who does Secret Origins, Power of Fish Nights, and Give Me Those Star Wars. He says, I've only seen Amber Heard in one movie, The Informers. Not very good, but she's naked in every scene. I'd like to say... <laughs> I'd like to, this man is married. I'd like to say I can't wait to see more of her in Aquaman, but really, I don't think that's possible to see any more of her after the Informers. <laughs> and I would like to send a personal thank you to Ryan for sharing that information with me, and then sharing all the animated gifts he sent us privately through Facebook. That was really very much appreciated, Ryan. Thank you. Um, heard from Joe, and by the way, we didn't even mention Amber Heard earlier. I meant it, I meant to ask you when you were talking about the way they're drawing Mera. I started looking at her face, and, I'm, and her face is starting to look a little different. I wonder if they're starting to target her on Amber Heard. I have not noticed that, so I don't okay. know. Something to watch for. Heard from our buddy Joe X. He says, I didn't, because I, I talked about how Multiplex in the, in the previous issue was actually sort of like, his personality was a little bit different for every duploid. Like, he actually was actually telling people to call him by different names, each duploid. And Joe says, I didn't see Multiplex the same way, but wouldn't it be nifty if he was pulling different versions of himself from throughout the multiverse? That would be cool. Yeah, what, Jerry did tell us that there's going to be different, that Multiplex is, each copy is a little bit different, but wouldn't that, that would be interesting if he's coming from various versions, various Earths. That would be pretty cool. Then I heard from our buddy Ange from the Supergirl uh, blog, Comic Box Commentary. He says, I will admit that the price point of Legends Tomorrow kept me away, which is a shame. And then he asked what sales were like. I did a little bit of research. I looked on, um, I don't know if you've ever looked on the website, Comicron. It's amazing. If, if you're into sales figures and stuff, if you, I'm a total nerd for that stuff. It's really cool. It gives you the sales figures from based on Diamond Comics and distribution, distribution every month. You can get an idea. So here, here's what I know about Legends of Tomorrow from the Comic-Con website. It was the 105th top-selling comic in the industry, which doesn't really tell you a lot. But I've, I've, I've come up with some sort of benchmarks here. Sold 18,753 copies. I don't believe that includes digital, so it would have been more than that, actually. Is 19,000 roughly a good number in comic sales? Yeah, but at $7.99, it probably is. It, uh, For point of reference, as I said, there were 105. Aquaman was number 82, so it's not that far behind Aquaman, which is good. Uh, it did sell less than DC Bombshells. It sold less than Swamp Thing. It sold less than Batman Beyond. 
uh, which I don't know that any of those are really hot sellers. But here's some books I was kind of surprised that it sold better than. It sold better than Titan's Hunt, which DC's pushing down everyone's throat right now. It's supposed to be a big launching point in a rebirth. It sold better than Earth 2 Society. It sold better than Starfire. It sold better than Superman, Lois, and Clark, which is one of the DC comics I'm actually getting right now and is, as far as I know, pretty popular. Um, it sold better than Red Hood Arsenal, We Are Robins, Nestro, and several others. So I would say that issue number one landed in a pretty good spot. Uh, we don't have sales figures on April yet, so we don't know how well issue number two sold. But you know, I, I'd be pleased with that sales point. Yeah, that's not a, it's not terrible. I mean, yeah. again, and at that price point, that's really not that bad. And I mean, we don't know; we're just surmising. But the fact that these were all miniseries that were announced it suggests that at a certain point, that was material that might have even considered to be written off. So it's like it, it it's it's mm. it's like that might have been budgeted for some other year. So in terms of how much quote unquote expensive the book is to produce, it might be actually a lot cheaper because it was like, well, that was material we didn't think we were going to use, and now we're getting to use it. Yeah. Again, I, this is just a, I have no idea whether that's true or not. But we got an email from Darren Sutherland, of course, Darren of, of the Sutherlands, Darren of Ruth Sutherland from Warlord Worlds and Trekker Talk. Hi, Robin Chag. It was great having the two of you back together and covering two great issues. Issue 50 of Aquaman was a complete joy. Aquamazing was quoted within <laughs> its own pages. The double length flew by, flew by, making the issue seem no longer than a typical issue. Characterizations and artwork were fantastic, and I'm feeling so excited and hopeful about getting two issues of a fun Aquaman series every month and in the near future. Let's hope it blasts past issue 76 and even reaches 100. Ugh. Four, <laughs> four more years, four more years. We picked up not only Legends of Tomorrow, but we've also been buying Firestorm issues as they're released on Comixology. If only there were enough hours in the day to go back and re-listen to the older episodes to hear Shag's reviews while we read them. Maybe once we win the lottery. Have a great week, Darren. I could have sworn they won the lottery already, considering all the amazing trips they go on. I know. I'm not kidding. Yeah. they go to. And... I am not completely unconvinced that Darren and Ruth are not secretly the White Stripes. The who? You don't know who the – all right. Get out of my parents' basement or whatever. Go ahead. Say whatever you want to say. No, go ahead. No, forget it. White stripes? Is that what you said? Never heard of the white stripes. I don't. I don't know. I'm sorry. Is that an old reference or a modern reference? It's a band. You talking about Striper, the Christian band? Yes, I'm talking about what? Yes, I'm talking about Striper, the Christian band. Yes, yes, I am. With Ted Cruz as the lead singer. Yes, that's what I'm talking. About. Next comment came from Chuck Coletta. He says, "I hope you guys will spend a few minutes talking about the other stories featured in the Legends anthology. For the most part, I was very keen on what I read. I did grumble a bit that Star, uh, sorry, that Sapphire Stag is now a scientist. I know this is a more politically correct in- interpretation, but I always had a soft spot for her spoiled heiress." Um, Chuck, I am not going to disagree with you there. Then he goes on to say, I'm interested, too, to see what you guys thought of the new Sugar and Spike. The story was fine, but I don't see the point in using these names. It could have just as easily had other names. Absolutely correct. There you go. P.S. I know there's a Sugar and Spike archive. Rob plugged it. But I'd like to see some collections of Stanley and his monster scribbly in the original Red Tornado someday. Dude, that's a great idea. I would love to read some of those old Stanley and his monster stories. I, I remember the miniseries that came out in like the 90s which I, or 80s I adored, but I would love to read some of those original ones. And by the way, Chuck, you were one of the reasons I took the time to talk about Metamorpho, Sugar and Spike, and Metal Men today because you guys asked for it. I had no intention to talk about those strips, but you guys asked, so there you go. I'm a giver. What can I say? Heard from Michael Kuroskiro, who uh, does the non-existent Batman and the Outsiders blog. He wrote, Shag, I thought you'd especially might like to know that I am nowhere near starting a Batman and the Outsiders blog. You know what? No. I don't want to hear that, Michael. I don't, I don't care. I know you've got babies. You've got other projects. I don't care. I want my Batman and the Outsiders blog that I can mock on a daily basis. 
Anyway, he goes on, some things never change, right? However, I have been very busy blogging at my own personal blog, which is about a bunch of stuff, whatever I'm in the mood to write about, honestly. So my, you know, my life, music, movies, a little comics here and there, but I've also been writing for a site called Sequart. How do you say that? Sequart. Sequart. I always thought it was Sequart. Sequart.org, so that's S-E-Q-U-A-R-T.org, that focuses on sequential art of any kind, but with a strong focus on comics. I've written seven articles up there in recent months, with an eighth on the way. I'd say about half of them are about comics so far, so y'all might be interested. There are others about movies, and I have one upcoming about music, so while I'm not any closer to a, to a Batman and the Outsiders blog, I have been keeping busy elsewhere and doing some comic writing myself. So again, you can find that at S-E-Q-U-A-R-T.org, slash author, slash Michael dash um, I would just like to say, if he's writing all these blog entries on sequential art, last time I checked, Batman and the Outsiders was in fact a sequential art piece. So there's your ninth entry, my gift to you. He also mentions uh, the Sugar and Spike parts of Legends of Tomorrow, and he says, I'm only vaguely familiar with Sugar and Spike as characters, so I have no attachment to them, but I've heard plenty of fans complain about this new version. Eh, if you can't take an old property that was lying dormant and reconfigure it for a new story, then what's the point? Anyway, the art and humor in the script really pleased me in that story. I found the Firestorm chapter to be engaging, but not thrilling. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm not, wasn't like offended. I'm just sort of like, it's not really, it's not Sugar and Spike. It's just a completely different thing, but it's fine. It's, I mean, you know, I, there's no way you could do Sugar and Spike the way it was done nowadays because nobody would be buying it. I mean, maybe you could get like Alt Baltazar. He could do like a really cool version of it. But, but yeah, if you're going to make them adults, then go ahead and do some other thing. And that's what they're doing. So when they were little kids, were they neighbors? Yes. And one of them's last name is Plum and one last name Wilson? I forget what their last names were. Because I told you about that cute scene where they have the shared duplex. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, their mail, they do show the mailbox, you know, 340A yes. is Plum, 340B yep. is Wilson, so. Yeah, yeah, you see it in this issue, too, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, cute. yeah, it's, it's really great. Uh, Alexander Osias wrote us a letter. He says, it's quite funny to see Rob being so open about missing podcasting with Shag. Clearly not Dark Future Rob, who occasionally surfaces. And Shag, <laughs> and Shag avoiding reciprocating. It's like he's squirming in his seat. I shall follow Rob's example. Missed you guys together, but I do enjoy all the work you've, you've put into growing the network. Keep it up, guys. JLA podcast. Wah-ha-ha. Or JLI. Did I say A? Whoops. <laughs> Good plug. Edit that. Edit that, Rob. JLI. Boy. Good plug. JLI podcast. Wah-ha-ha. <laughs> Um, and then he says, I'm picking up the Legends Tomorrow title as well. Been shying away, except for a few titers. Titers? It's getting late, folks. Time to go to bed. <laughs> He's been shying away, except for a few titles, with all the strange creative decisions in the past few years. But I'm happy to be re-entering the DC Universe more fully again. You know, Alexander, I am pleased I am buying Legends of Tomorrow. I am pleased I am buying Justice, Society, uh, Justice League 3001, at least for a few more months. I am buying um, uh, Superman, Lois, and Clark. And I'm going to try DC Rebirth, the, the main... Uh, you know, special. You know, see where it goes. I, I'm going to give them a try with this JSA thing and see how it goes. And those are some of the most DC comics I've bought in a long time. So I'm happy about that. All right. Got a message from Clinton Robinson from the Coffee and Comics blog. Nice to know I keep popping up. Probably something akin to a bad penny. But hey, any publicity is good publicity. Great episode, guys. It's wonderful to hear both hosts enjoying the comics again. Looks like the good things are in store for the future of the podcast, as if that was ever in doubt. Just a little curious how things are going to go when Aquaman goes twice monthly and poor old Firestorm doesn't get the same treatment. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how we're going to handle that exactly. Uh, we have to deal with that when it happens. But yeah, I, I don't want to do – if we do two separate review episodes a month, we'll just never do anything else but this. Between. Well, we should probably get with our program director and the marketing department for the show, network, see what they think. Maybe. Um, my guess would be we would just save up the two Aquaman, cover them in one episode. I'd probably, yeah. And then just do one Firestorm issue. would right. probably be the logical thing. Yes. Your, your Aquaman reviews are usually pretty short anyway. You say, like, yes. Aquaman, he swam around and stabbed somebody with a trident. Done! And uh, Firestorm, I then go panel by panel, word by word. So it'd probably balance out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because if we did two separate review Aquaman episodes... And then Who's Who and JLI, that's mm-hmm. it. That, that would be the whole month. We never yeah, as, as it stands right now, we basically get, yeah, we get the review episode, we get Who's Who, we get JLI, and we get one fun episode a month. Yeah. <laughs> one fun episode. Well, we're like, we're like on a schedule now. Like, it's like, it's like, it's not a chore or anything, but it's like, well, we don't get to do like a Bob Haney thing this month. Yeah. We really have, sort of we're doing JL May instead, you know, yep. or whatever. Yep. Not that JL May wasn't fun. I loved it. Uh, by the way, I finished my reread of JLA year one. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Oh. Such a great comic. All right. Heard from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. It says, Shag, uh, did you not notice in one of Jeff Parker's issues when they were fighting the giant troll, Mara sends Arthur up the spout and he says, I'll have to fight him at the 10,000-foot level. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I didn't pick up on that. Neither did I. I'm telling you, the Aquaman folks listen to our show. Remember Jeff Parker used to retweet our stuff all the time? I mean, I'm just saying. You know, I, uh, I maybe I shouldn't say this on the air, but nobody listens to the show anyway. Uh, I am going to get the opportunity to interview Dan Abnett uh, <gasps> at some point, and I will have to ask him. I will get no, to ask him. No, don't, directly. don't do that. Don't embarrass the guy, because you know, I mean, that's that's not fair to put somebody on the spot like that. I'm I do know he listened to the I'm last gonna, episode. Though. I'm going to do it. So. <laughs> you have proof positive, and we'll get to it in a minute. You have proof positive that he listened to the last episode, which is pretty amazing. So, uh, and then Mart. Uh, Mart. That's how he writes his name, but Martin. He uh, he posted a picture of himself at the Edinburgh Comic Con, standing there with new Aquaman artist Brad Walker. Very cool. So he said he was great to meet him. Awesome. Yep. Very, very cool. Uh, our pal Chris Franklin, also from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, who of course does the Supermates podcast with his lovely wife Cindy, and he's also the co-host of My Power Record Show. Shag's next world tour will obviously involve a large boombox and duster for this episode. <laughs> Better work out those forearms, buddy. You got a lot of overhead lifting in your future. So I'm ashamed to admit, I, I listened back to the last episode because I like hearing the sound of my own voice. And uh, Rob put at the end, the end, the stinger, the song. Um, what's the song called? In your eyes. In your eyes. And I had to ask Rob, I'm like, you know, I love the song, but what's the reference? And he had to remind me. I had completely forgotten I made the Lloyd Dobler <laughs> reference in the episode. I'm like, what is, why is that song in here? So, whoops. <laughs> I talk a lot and don't really think before I speak, folks, in case that wasn't obvious over the last five years. Uh, we got an email from uh, Pod Dylan executive producer David Ace Gutierrez, <laughs> who says he's also from the uh, formerly the Ultraverse podcast. Woo! He says, uh, you want a great take on a savage great king? Watch Vikings. Uh, great show, but you guys let me down. You said Metamorpho, but didn't sing his jingle. And we're not going to do that again. Wrong. Metamorpho. Oh, okay, Metamorpho. Dun, 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 dun. Metamorpho. Metamorpho. Dun, 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 dun. Is the element man. <laughs> like you only Metamorpho. know part of the world. Metamorpho. <laughs> like, my... <laughs> I've genuinely gotten my family to love that song now. Like, they just love it because it's so trippy 60s. It's, uh, I play it, you know, I'll play the YouTube clip or whatever, and they're like, yay! It's extraordinarily catchy. There's no doubt about it. It is. And so my daughter will be like, 
Okay, I don't understand that part, Daddy. What is that? Because, like, the Orb of Ra? What is that? Or whatever. I don't remember what all is in the song off the top of my head, but I have to explain the whole origin of them to her every time. All right. Heard from our buddy Al Girding from the great All-Star Comics Review Podcast. He says, great episode. But you two act like Red B isn't one of the greatest comic book heroes ever. Because we got in a discussion about Red B. I mentioned how Al loves to post pictures of the Red B. And you know what, Al? The Red B is the greatest superhero of all time. Why? Because he fought crime with bees in his belt pockets. That's how awesome he was. Uh, you know, we, we shouldn't scoff. Bees I'm killed not. the bees killed Macaulay Culkin in that movie My Girl and then they put Nicolas Cage in a whole face full of uh, face mask full of bees in the Wicker Man remake. So the bees bees are pretty nasty. I'm not mocking him. I genuinely I didn't think him. I was mocking him either. I don't know. I think Al's very sensitive about Red B. I didn't think you and I even said anything bad about Red B. We talked a lot about Red B last yeah, time. Yeah, but we didn't make fun of him. I don't I'm think. pretty sure we did. Okay, well, let's move on. You can run use the Red B. Ah, see, there you go. Dale Russell says, back to basics. Great show, new Firestorm, and good Aquaman. The Aquaman short was the best of those in BVS. I agree, Dale. Uh, you all talk about wanting the anthology format to return. You could give a short review up or down on the other stories. Done in the book. Especially Shogun Spikes, since the first time I ever heard about them was Rob going on and on about how they were left out of Uzu. <laughs> Dale, you also played a role in us uh, covering those topics today, so thank you. Heard from our buddy Aaron Head Moss from the Headcast Network, Task Force X, G.I. Joe, uh, Starman, and Manhunter, and like, I don't know, 17 other shows. And he says, well, I really want you to discuss the new Firestorm. I'm going to miss the coverage of the old book until it resumes. Of course, thinking about it, I know what you two are up to. You're delaying the introduction of Slipknot to coincide with the Suicide Squad movie when Slipknot shows his star power. Don't think you're getting away with anything, Mr. Ro- Mr. Rob Kelly, Mr. Aerodine Bullshag. Oh, yes, I'm on to your cunning scheme. You know, I wish we could time that right. But it's, it's not going to work out. The movie will be out before then. And Slipknot will be very, very dead by the time we get to cover issue number 28. Entirely so. possible. What did you say? Entirely possible. Uh, it seems pretty likely because, well, he's in a couple of the stills and he's in a couple of the trailers. You actually show him, like, fire a rope or something and he goes swinging up through the air. Um, the big scenes where you see the team coming, yeah, he ain't in any of those shots. Can I tell you, it was, I, I caught myself the other day. I was at work and I was doing something for one of our clients, uh, which is um, Sony. Mm-hmm. And I was producing a graphic for Suicide Squad for the trailer. It's a whole long thing we were doing. Oh, wow. And I was making a custom Suicide Squad graphic mm-hmm. for Sony Mobile. And I was grabbing all of the little uh, skull icons mm-hmm. that they've been using. Yeah. And so I'm, pe- I'm, and I'm, and I'm cutting and pasting them into one large image. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm actually cutting and pasting a Slipknot drawing. <laughs> At work, there's a slip. I'm getting paid to, and and that it exists. (laughs) There is a graphic for Slipknot. It was just, you know, I just had that momentary like, oh wow. (laughs) The world is just crazy. Well, the world has gone crazy, as we all know. Yes. You know what's interesting about that little graphic is like when I first saw it, it, because for Slipknot, because it showed it, because he has like cornrows, and um, it has that in the little skull design. I looked at it, I'm like. I'm like, what is, is that the superpowers Brainiac? What is that supposed to be? It does and look I was like, like oh Brainiac, my. that's true. Yeah, and I was like, oh, no, it's Slipknot, whoops. Slipknot, there you go. <laughs> from uh, our buddy Mike Zumo, and I don't know if he's going to actually hear this or not, but he says, I was just about to download this episode and realized I was 10 issues behind. So uh, I don't know if he actually jumped in, but I did leave him a comment saying, 10 issues behind an Aquaman? Don't worry, just skip them. <laughs> Start with issue 49, you'll thank me. So I hope he did. There you go. We heard from Buck Roulette. Buck, Buck Roulette. Roulette. 
uh, Rob was talking about his his Twitter handle last time, which is Highball2814. And Rob was talking about, I don't know, just nonsense crap, drinks and, and villains called Highball and all this stuff. And I said, no, that's Hal Jordan's call sign in 2814 is the sector. And Rob's like, because that's how Rob talks. <laughs> and thankfully, Buck Roulette, Buck Roulette came to the rescue and pointed out, absolutely, that's, his, uh, that's Hal's call sign from Rebirth. The Green Lantern is his favorite character ever. So, on you, Rob. <laughs> See, there it is. See, I told you, folks. <laughs> we got a message from City Geek Paul at Paul PMC, and he says, what's the significance of Aquaman 72? I think, uh, City Geek, you misheard me. It was Aquaman 76 is what we're yes. talking about. Now, the significance of that is there has never been, despite Aquaman being uh, been around for 75 years, he has never had a solo title that has gotten past issue 75. It's just an arbitrary thing for me, but I've always felt, maybe not so much nowadays because of the new 52, but like Aquaman's always felt like to me the, 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 you know, the, the slightly less important character compared to the other JLAers. You know, it really is the big five and then, oh yeah, Aquaman, Washington Manhunter. They really are the, the, the Professor and Marianne of, of this particular setup. <laughs> and the fact that like Green Lantern had a title that got into the 200s and Flash got, like they've all had titles. That if you look at them, they establish a deep and immense history because you're like, oh, look at this. This is Flash 350. This is Green Lantern 200 and something. This is Batman 500 and something. This Aqu- is Firestorm 100. Right. Catwoman has gotten up to 100. Scooby-Doo over 100. <laughs> not to knock Scooby-Doo. But the fact that Aquaman kept getting restarted and he just could not get past 75, just to me, it, it suggested a a a... a just the lack of 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 stick to itiveness by DC for the character. So I've always been like, just get him to a hundred issues. But n- and now we're at number fifty one, and now we know they're going to start all over again. So we're <laughs> and now we know the the Marvel standard, which is just start the titles over like every twelve issues. We're never going to get to Aquaman one hundred. This is never going to happen. So I've just given up on that particular dream. You know what's crazy is now that I'm I've, I'm a lover of Marvel so much with Marvel Digital Unlimited, and I'm reading it. I'm actually kind of okay with the starting over every year thing. It's it doesn't bother me as much. I, I guess it's because I don't have to keep lists anymore. You know, it's when you keep a list, it drives you nuts. You're like, is this volume four, or volume five? Am I supposed to count that miniseries? It was in the middle. You know, but I uh, I'll do the Rob Kelly thing. Yeah, uh, so I'm kind of okay with it. <laughs> Here from our buddy Jeff Peterson, he says, although I hope we have not seen the last of Mara's classic look, I must admit that first panel depicting she and Aquaman in matching uniforms brought a smile to my face. There's just something old-fashioned about the idea of a hero and his female counterpart in matching clothes. I totally agree. It's by all rights, I should hate the Aquaman costume because I feel like you know it could potentially subsume the Mara strength of her personality. But damn, I just love it. It makes me so happy because I know she's still Mara. She she's not any less powerful than she was, and she's still Mara. It's not like her name went away. She just she has a job now that she goes to. You know, it's it's her uniform for work, and when she's off work, she can still be in her green Mara costume. Right, and there could and be two still be. Here. And still be smoking hot. There, there could be two mirror action figures in the inevitable toilet. Oh! Well, then they could do the Red Lantern variant, too. There you go. Uh, and he also says, on the off chance that anyone from D.C. is paying attention, I would gladly pay $5 an issue if we could get a backup story involving Garth, Merck, and Tula visiting various local fest- festivals up and down the East Coast. <laughs> here, they, here they are at the Clam Festival, the Blueberry Festival, the Hot Dog Festival. Next week, Merck enters an apple pie eating contest. <laughs> I say this without a hint of sarcasm. That would be comic gold. <laughs> uh, 
I would love that. That would be hysterical. The Merc World Tour. That would be the best. Uh, he and I could go out together and do stuff. All right. I heard from Boston Moss. Um, he said, hey, guys, a suggestion. Oh, this is Rob's comment, but I'll yeah, read it. You're reading mine. That's fine. No, go right go. ahead. Go okay. ahead. All right. Yeah, no, no, you go ahead. All right. He said, hey, guys. <laughs> a suggestion. Put a link on your page to InStockTrades.com. That way they know you're driving traffic to them. I'm about to put uh, in an order, and without you guys, I would have never heard of them. That's a great idea, Boston, and we have implemented that at least right for right now in the show notes. Every episode yes. of the show notes has the links to the books that we are recommending for that particular issue, uh, that particular show. So thank you very much. That's a great suggestion. And I do want to add uh, – we do plan to add something for InStock Trades to the site. We just haven't gotten around to it yet. But Well, great, actually, great I've been hemming and hawing a little bit, honestly, because they, they sponsor our show, but they don't sponsor the whole network. Right, right. So well, I've been having a hawing, and your solution of putting the actual books we promote in the post is, like, brilliant. I think that's the best way to go because people can find the books we're talking about. It's linked to the right shows. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. So okay, good. Well done, Rob. Thank you. Um, the next email is a little unusual. Uh, we received this at our, uh, our Comcast account. I'm going to – I have personally chosen the, – the, the person didn't ask us to do this, but I have chosen to withhold their name. Um, just a choice. I'm going to read the letter. It was very touching, and uh, it really – Moved me. Uh, I'm going to read just parts of it. But he says, about a year ago, I went through the first real depression of my life, and it was a doozy. I've lived my life perpetually happy, a glasses completely full sort of guy. Can't really explain why, but at least not without losing a stranger's attention span. But I got got down to the thinking suicide stage. Counseling and talking things out with friends and family helped me power through it and get back to my normal self. But there was another thing that was actually probably the key cog that helped me pull it out. Podcasts like yours. Yes, that might sound silly, but as a lifelong comic book fanatic, I'm almost 50 years old now, podcasts were something I discovered uh, as I was in my funk, and hearing happy people passionately talk about something I'm passionate about was a shining light in uh, my mire of darkness. Hearing you guys and gals talk about your mutual passion and opening up about your lives as well just spoke to me in ways I didn't expect. Again, I'm all better now, but just wanted to say personally thank you and a few other podcasters for unknowingly being instrumental in saving me. Sounds too dramatic, I'm sure, but it's true. Wow. Um, powerful stuff. Thank you. And if we played even a small role amongst all these other podcasters, you probably sent that too. I'm, I'm honored to have helped in some small way. So we're, we have a great time doing the show. And if it provides even two minutes of entertainment for somebody, um, that, that means the world to me. So awesome. Thank you. Uh, we got uh, these. Is, these are the people who shared our show and what's going on on their own timeline, whether it's either Facebook or Twitter or Google Plus. And we're talking about this particular, the, the last episode, the last yep. review episode, which is 161. So anyway, we got uh, these sh- these uh, social media shares from Dan Abnett Woo! over on uh, on Twitter, where he's known as uh, Dan Abnett and Nick uh, at Vincent Abnett. He, he wrote nice review of Aquaman number 50 from 11 minutes and 30 seconds. Spoilers. So Dan's See? paying attention. Proof positive. Go. He listened to the last show. There you go. We also got one from Brett Booth. Good. That demon puppy. And our pal, Jerry Conway. That's awesome. Oh, so cool. Very exciting. Uh, the, and again, here's the list of names from the people that uh, their, their various Twitter handles and things like that that have. Uh, he says, every one of these, uh, Shag wrote, each and every one of these nuclear subs is an important part of the nuclear sub community, and that is very true. So let's go ahead and read the names uh, Adrian, Adrian G., Army of Skanks, Arthur Curry, Between the Pages, Buck Roulette, Buck Roulette, Chris Franklin, City Geek, Country, Country Geek. Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Tweets, Dan, Darren Ruth Sutherland, David Gutierrez, Gareth Oliver, Gotham Sheeran, Georgia McKenzie, Ian, hashtag Lois, Lois, Lois League, 
Jared West, Jeremiah Parker, Joe Slab, Keechi Baker, Kevin Carley, Con L, Lewis, Mark David Gaudry, Martin Gray, Morrow, Odinson, Paul Hicks, Pulp 2 Pixels Podcast, Robert Lewis, Ryan Daly, Siskoid, The Flash Podcast, The Hammer Strikes, Thomas Emson, Trucker Talk, Tutu Freaks, Warlord Worlds, and as always, Willie Arbor. Dude, that's just amazing. All of those people took the time to either post it on their Facebook walls or on Twitter or Google Plus. Well, not many people on Google Plus, but um, I've given up on it. But it's um, they're really touching. Thank you, folks, for doing that. It's really we really appreciate that. Then here's the list of folks that either gave us likes or plus ones or favorites on the last uh, episode. Also, want to say thanks to them. They're also uh, key you know components to the nuclear sub community. So here we go: Abel Padilla, Angel Coran, uh, I'm sorry, Coral Yanez. Armando Yanez Castillo, Austin, man, guys, really? Can't you just be named like Bob or something? Uh, Austin Kuyi Kendall, Bach Florane. You love how I like compliment him and then I like backhand him. That's, that's, that's how, a great way to get him to write back. There you go. That, that's, how you, that's how you keep a relationship strong right there. You got you to keep them down a little bit, you know? Don't want them to get big britches. Anyway, Brad Melages, uh, Bradley Austin Null, Brett Montague, Buck Roulette. Cindy Womack, Cynthia Snowberry, Coffee and Comics Blog, Corey Hodgson, Dale Russell, Daniel Butnick, Daniel Cynical Adams, Darren Ruth Sutherland, David D. Campbell, David Golding Artist, David Guterres, David William Crabb, that would actually be Derek William Crabb, terribly sorry, Dustin Stauffer, Elliot Avenue, Everett Harn, Fabby 510, Gareth Oliver, Guatham Shiorin, Geek for Cheap, Gene Hendricks, you think that's like a geek, um, like, Escort service, maybe? Geek for cheap or something? I don't know. Anyway, Gene Hendricks, Georgia McKenzie, Green Arrow 34, Ian, hashtag Lois League, it, uh, Ill It Records, Isaiah Stevens, Jared West, Joe Slab, <laughs> Joe Wolf. Gotta get it. I, it's always there. Jose Rivera, Kichi Baker, Kevin Carley, Kevin Culp, Luis, Luke Dobb, Marcus, Max Romero, Megan Rose, Michael Harlow, Michael King Kirkland, Michael Fettick, Michael Peacock, Nicholas Prom, Ozzy Ray, Peter Wayne, Phil Barker, Robert Finley, Robert Lewis, Rory Williams from Doctor Who, uh, Roy Cle- not really, Roy Cleary, Ryan Daly, Sean Emmons, Sean Brock, Signature Clothing, Silver and Gold Podcast, Tim Wallace, Trekker Talk, Van Z, Vans Heinstead, Warlord Worlds, Willie Yarborough, and Zeb Oswald. Woo! Well, thank you, folks, so very, very much for all your support. I... I am always astounded when I pull together this feedback and spend about five hours of my life scouring the internet, finding all of this, that so many people support this show, support the characters, and just love communicating and going back and forth and arguing and telling us where we screw up or whatever. It's just, it's an absolute hoot. It's, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you guys. Thank you for supporting Aquaman. Thank you for supporting Firestorm. Over the last few years, obviously they really needed the help and now they're there, you know? And it's exciting. It's exciting to be part of this. So, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find us online again? Of course, it's fireandwaterpodcast.com, our wonderfully spiffy network site. You can uh, contact us using the contact page, or you can shoot us an email at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. And we're also on Twitter at FW Podcasts, and we're on Facebook under Fire and Water Podcast Network. 
And you can also leave comments on the blog posts themselves on that site where you just go uh, to the MP3 post, leave comments. And that's where most of the comments are going to come from, most of the interaction. You can reply. You can tell Russell Burbage to take his angry pants off, you know, whatever. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of where the hip place, all the cool kids hang out. So you can also find me at firestormfan.com. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook under the same handle. You can find my friend Rob, and I use that term loosely, on Twitter under 17 different handles. I'm only going to name about six of those today. You can find him at Aquaman Shrine, Film and Water Pod, Pod Dylan, uh, was it when, uh, Newspaper Comics 2012? Oh, don't, don't even bother with that. For God's <laughs> sakes. Come on. Right, am I forgetting any major ones? No, no. That, that, that's all. That's, we're okay. good. I think you probably, like, you know how your iPhone only has so much memory? I bet your Twitter app is just, like, crazy. Like, it's just full. It takes up all the memory in your phone. Anyway, you can also find Rob over on Facebook under Aquaman Shrine. Uh, you can find uh, him at AquamanShrine.net as well. Am I forgetting anything? Because that's, I'm tired. That's more than enough. I'm tired of talking about you, to be quite honest. So it's I've had enough. I'm tired of I'm hearing con- about. It. Well, I'm contacting the lawyers because you know it's been a while since we drafted the agreement, and this social media section of yours has gotten out of hand. I mean, it's really ridiculous. So, all right, folks. Uh, next month we will cover Aquaman number fifty-two. Is this right? The That's, the last issue? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay, we'll cover Aquaman number fifty-two. We'll cover Legends tomorrow number three. And uh, until then, folks, please continue to fan the flame and ride the wave. <laughs> Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah!